real life superpowers. I would say, after my experience in the past eight years or ten years, right now, people are saying to me no all the time. You know, I'm trying to get new investors. I get 95% no's, right? And I'm not... I, I, I do not really take that into my heart, you know. I, I do not really pay attention. I just know, okay, I think that I have a working product, or right now I know that I have a working product. I know that we have a valuable company and a valuable uh, technology, and we'll find the right person that is going to believe in what we do and going to take the chance on, on what we do. And, and I think that's what separates, you know, successful entrepreneur to unsuccessful is, first of all, to listen, to adjust, but not only that, is keep on trying. Hey, everyone. Today we speak with Alon Giladi. a serial entrepreneur who's currently leading Renovai, his third technology startup. He co-founded his first startup while studying for his BA in economics and philosophy. That venture was in the sports and entertainment collectibles industry. He was able to close licensing deals with brands such as FC Barcelona, NBA, and Disney, selling over 1.5 million units to retailers in Europe and the US, such as Walmart, Target, Toys R Us, Tesco, and more. In 2017, he co-founded a 3D rendering studio with 10 employees. The company created virtual reality experiences for architects and interior designers. Based on the knowledge and experience gained in this venture, the idea of Renovive was born with an ambitious mission to empower online retailers with AI to make professional design and stylist services affordable and accessible for all. Here's the story. Real Life Superpowers Alon, welcome. Hi, thank you for having me. What are you up to these days? A lot. Actually, yeah, my company has a lot of uh, updates, exciting times, and uh, my personal life. I have a new baby a boy coming. Uh, wow, congrats. So yeah, a lot of things in my life these days. It's not a first child. It's the second child, yeah. So are you prepared to now, you know, not sleep too much while, uh, you know, managing the business? Yeah, I'm not sleeping much for the past three years yeah. with, my, uh, with Leah, my daughter. But yeah, it's going to be a downgrade for, the la- for my life. But uh, hopefully with some, you know, very exciting uh, new starts. Sometimes like opening up a company, you need like an accountant and a lawyer. So if you open up another co- company, you're still using the accountant and the lawyer. So if you're already, you know, you know, switching the diapers and already, you know, having those, it's like you already did the hard part. <laughs> yeah. I hope so. I hope so. That's, that's the theory that my wife has. I'm less optimistic, but we'll see. And what's more challenging, like being a parent or managing your own business? I think it's a combination. And for me, in the first year of Leah's life, it was Corona time and the lockdowns and so on. So it was a very challenging time, you know, in the very early days of the startup full-time work, you know, 150% obligation to the job and then being a full-time father as well. So, uh, and my wife is 
she has a, a, a very promising career as well. So jungling between the two was a really hard challenge. And, but I, I hope that, you know, now things are open and, and it's going to be an easier experience now uh, compared to what we had. And, but I'm very devoted. I'm, I'm very motivated by, by my personal life as well, not just by work. So I think, uh, I think it's a challenge to combine the two, but it, it is possible. Did you grow up in a house where your parents were around a lot? It's a hard question. My, my mom is a doctor. My father is a finance person. So afternoon, they were around, but uh, I had bigger brothers that took care of me and, you know, walked me around. Uh, so it's kind of a combination uh, between the two. But I think my father was more entrepreneurial in spirit. So I think maybe that's the reason why I'm here. I didn't really think about that up until now, but I think it's part of part of the story. You can be called actually a serial entrepreneur. And, you know, with a doctor as a mom and a, and a finance guy as your dad, you would probably be expected to take a more conservative route. Probably, but my mom never really pushed me to learn, you know, medicine. It was not part of, 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 of the ethos of, of, my, of our house. Um, and I, I feel that I, I was always intrigued by being a, an entrepreneur. However, my life could have been different if I did not meet uh, Alon Chelman during the university. So I could have been, you know, more traditional. I learned economics and philosophy, so I could have been something within the economics world. And, but I happened to, to meet the right guy to open uh, a few companies together and we are working very well and we are the best friends for the past, I don't know, 12 years. So with the character of both of us, the path was uh, really, really clear that we are going to do stuff uh, together. That is really unique, A, that you have a business partner for so long and that you're still talking about him that way. And B, it seems like, I'm sure it's not correct. Obviously, it's like the, the whole premise of this show is that what I'm about to say is not true, but it seems like it was pretty much smooth sailing in the sense that you didn't have any um, so incident or something that shook you up to a point where you thought, maybe I should just go and work for someone. No, I, it was never smooth sailing because even in my first company that uh, I've built, it was not a start, it's not, it was not a high, high tech, it was a venture, exciting venture within the, the domain that I really like and alone really like uh, within the sport industry and entertainment, but low tech completely. Uh, I, can, I can elaborate about that, but uh, we closed the company eventually. Uh, so it was not a smooth ride. And after that, we thought about what to do. We knew that we wanted to have uh, another venture and another startup, but it could not happen without actually my wife because I did not have a salary for more than two years. And she was providing for, for, for us both. And uh, she was patient enough for, for, for me to keep exploring and keep trying new things in order for us to, you know, we didn't make it, but at least, you know, making the way that we have done so far. So yeah, definitely my wife has a huge part of our current success. And that first venture that eventually didn't work out, did it shake your confidence? Like what gave you the drive to believe that you're still in the right direction and that you should do your own thing? 
it's an interesting question. I don't think it shook my confidence in our, in our capability. On the contrast, I think. So I can elaborate briefly about when we did it. So during the last year of uh, the university time, me and Alon opened a company. And the idea behind what we did was extremely low-tech uh, technology. So imagine that, you know, the NBA collections or the Super Goal collections. So what we've done, instead of having like trading cards or stickers, we have created a flip book. Basically, it's a book that you flip the pages and you can see a famous act of Messi scoring a goal. So that was the idea, quite simple. And we were cocky enough to go to Barcelona FC, you know, the football club, approaching them, getting an opportunity to, getting a contract from them to, to have a license. Then we went to investors saying, look, this is what we, we accomplished. We have the idea. We already have contracts from Barcelona and we had another Arsenal football club or something like that and invest in us. And we had the opportunity to, to meet with very brave investors, private investors that uh, deployed some money. And we, we have made an extremely ambitious and difficult uh, uh, venture. So basically we have created the the books and, and, and the collections in China, uh, distributed it to, into Europe with a distributor, and then had a full net of uh, distributors within the country working with the major retailers, major kiosks. So really, really huge, huge, uh, a huge project. And we've sold more than one, one and a half million units of what we've done. So it was quite successful. But the business model was really, really too, too tough. And, and we needed more money. It, it was hard for us to raise money because it was not, you know, high tech. It was just a venture, just, you know, low tech uh, uh, thing. And so even though that we have raised, I don't know, $700,000 and we, we have booked some really, really nice uh, campaigns, uh, we knew that without additional money, we could, we could not make it. And uh, eventually... After two years without salary, that we really fought and tried to survive, and we decided with the investor, yeah, let's 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 quit and uh, and split the money that we still have and and, and move forward. Uh, but that experience really, really made myself what what I am now. So I really improved in terms of my communication, my network skills. Uh, my ambition to go to people that I do not know and just try. Um, and the most important thing I learned is trying is really the key. So once you try, once you start rolling things, things happen and you never know what's going to happen. And the really important thing is moving. So that's the major lesson that I learned from, from the first company that uh, we have built. Alone, this is the thing. So, if, as like people don't understand the culture in Israel, because I'm going to start with the the cocky going up to the Barcelona, right? So, there's a, there's a feature that 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 the Israeli culture also, and like all the the entrepreneurs or most of them, they have this. You, you call it cockiness, but it's more like the, the tenacity to 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 walk up with you know something raw and just you know saying you have the confidence that they executed it even if they didn't execute it 
which I, I, I do believe that anybody can execute anything. But the thing is, it's sort of, you know, as a metaphor, you know, it's like going up to someone um, um, like, um, I don't know, even when we were children, going up to a girl and saying, if you try, maybe she'll go out with you, right? So that like the guts part of just trying what you're saying or to, to put yourself in like vulnerability of getting a no, okay, getting up and going that again, um, you went to Barcelona. Now, the thing is, that's not what you get taught. Not as an entrepreneur and not by mentors, and it's always more complicated. But the thing is, um, uh, you know, there's always the question, why would Barcelona need you? Why won't they do it themselves, right? That's the, you know, everything. And then people don't understand that there, there's a thing that people don't have time, like to do even something that's small for Barcelona to do. They're not focused on it and they'd rather pay on it or, or just meeting this person that's charismatic, which... Even going to the investors and saying, we got Barcelona. You didn't really do it for Barcelona, right? Right. So the, the thing is, when you're saying trying, okay, what would happen if Barcelona said no? I would have gone to a few other clubs trying to get something going and then approaching again. I, I would try a few times. And I would say, after my experience in the past eight years or 10 years, right now, People are saying to me no all the time. You know, I'm trying to get new investors. I get 95% no's, right? Um, I'm not, I, I, I do not really take that into my heart. You know, I, I do not really pay attention. I just know, okay, I think that I have a working product or right now I know that I have a working product. I know that we have a valuable company and a valuable um, technology. And we'll find the right person that is going to believe in what we do and going to take the chance on, on what we do. Um, and I think that's what separates, you know, successful entrepreneur to unsuccessful is, first of all, to listen, to adjust, but not only that, is keep on trying. Um, so I, I have another example. We have uh, with the current company, we have applied to the Israel Innovation Authority initially. And we, are, we have received two no's. Um, even though that I was sure that we have very deep technology and our team, one of my colleagues is Avner Priel. He's our uh, CTO. He has PhD in physics, one of the top experts in computer vision and neural networks. So I knew that we have enough in the technology. This is for a grant? For a grant, yeah. And we, and we received we got rejected twice. So just, you know, half a year ago, we tried again because we adjusted, we understood what didn't work. And we said, for sure, we have enough technology. And we, when we know that we are innovative enough to, to get the grant and we tried again and we excelled it and we got almost the maximum grant. And I think this is an important lesson, at least for me. So trying to figure out what you did wrong and if, if you have something to adjust, adjust it. Um, taking under consideration that sometimes it's just sheer luck. You know, luck is involved in everything that we do in life. I truly am a big believer of that. And to try again, try your luck again. Uh, do your best, but try again. And uh, that's another, you know, short example of, of the thing that I think what may, made us so far, at least. 
what happens with entrepreneurs sometimes when they get a few investors or or even they have like just one uh, club, they're, they're scared to get those no's sometimes or even they have more what to lose so it becomes bigger and then they're not as courageous or tenacious that they were before because they have more what to lose for example let's say the chances that you have to be cocky on relocations that you're doing now that you have a family so like you have that edge of uh, you're persistent enough to, to keep on doing that no matter what the reason is and how do you keep that because now you're successful already yeah and you have what to lose right so first of all, yeah, we, you have what to lose, but without trying, you are going to lose it anyhow. So I don't have any choice right now to go to more investors. Uh, I try to learn from, from what we have done and, and try to learn from each investor, try to get some feedback to understand why, why we are not the right one for you. And maybe we can adjust. Maybe we need to adjust the business plan. Maybe we need to adjust what we do. Maybe, maybe there's things to do on, on our side and maybe not. Maybe this is what we, uh, that this is what we do. This is the niche. This is the market the, that we operate. A lot of the investors are not interested in what we do because the current company Renova is, we are serving a niche. So we need to find the right guys and we need to find the guys that do believe in what we do. Um, so more often than not, it's, it's a no, not because of us. It's because of, the nature of our business. And, and I have confidence in my team, in, in myself, that we are going to make the right adjustments and we are going to make a winner. And yeah, it, it was a long fight for us to get to where we are at. And, and we have a successful product. I can say that with the retailers that do work with us, and we can talk about what we do with Renovite, and, but with retailers that do work with us, the numbers right now are really making myself more confident in, in what we do. We can see the product is working. We can see the product is valuable for, for our partners. So once you know that, once you know the product is valid, I think it's easier for you to, to keep going forward. I'm getting an impression that you don't get held back by gatekeepers. And it seems like it's probably a theme. So for example, with FC Barcelona, like I think most people would think that's the holy grail. How do you even get to the right person? And you're not even from the same country. So yeah. what's your thought process here? So first of all, learning that everyone is human. Sometimes they answer their emails. Sometimes you just need to, you need to research. You need to understand what is their motivation? How do they work? So not just, you know, going blank. But once you do understand the market, you understand, for example, what's the business model of FC Barcelona? Uh, what they try to achieve and who are the right people to approach, then sometimes cold outreach is enough. Um, sometimes you need to spend more time and find the right person within your network that knows someone, that knows someone that can make some kind of a short intro. So yeah, that, that's my approach. Uh, and I'm a truly believer that once you try to move things and you send emails, so they might say, no, it's not me. You should talk to that guy. And you keep on going until something good happens. How do you even find the, the direct email of such a person? Do you guess? Do you like know the, the first name and the domain and you just try? No, you do research. You use tools and you try to get through LinkedIn the right positions. And you can do that. And with FC Barcelona specifically, we have found 
and relative to my colleagues that works with international brands. And he was able to introduce us to another person that work, who works with uh, FC Barcelona. And he was able to give me the right email address. And then I was able to send an email and praying. I, I remember the day that we have sent an email and me and Alon refreshed the email and waited for a few days next to the email until we got something back. What did you get back? So we have sent a couple, not just FC Barcelona. We've sent a couple of teams. Some of them said, not right now. And uh, Barcelona said, yeah, it could be interesting. Talk to, I didn't find the right person, the, the our champion, but within one email, I, I, I found the right uh, person within Barcelona. Um, and this was just the first step. But we knew that once we have some validation that our products could be interesting for big brands and we could license it. And we knew that we're going to approach private engines. We, we had a plan of, of how to secure it. And we were lucky enough to have, with the first company, we were lucky enough for the first two investors that we met. Both of them had some kind of a deal offering. So this was, again, luck. Luck is a big part. Was it a strategy or luck? I think this was pure luck. You know, angels, both of them, 99% say no. We happen to have two guys that really believe in us. Obviously, it's part, partly skills because we were able to impress them somehow and, or by getting the right... Co- based on the strategy that we have, we were able to do that. But uh, finding the right one that was brave enough to invest in young, you know, 25 years old men... And, Lack is part of it. And, and tell me, when, 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 like, like out of those mails, right? How do you decide as an entrepreneur, okay, what to send, right? Because like you have a, a, this, this mail that you're sending and you want to catch their attention. So like out of all your experience, what do you send to, like, to get the attention caught? Um, and, and again, you're not sending it to the right person or you may, and you want, to, you want him to understand the proposition Enough so he gets the attention out of the 3,000 mails. So what tips do you have on that side? So definitely I, I am better right now compared to what we did previously. But my thought process is always understand who am I approaching? What do they want to gain? And most importantly, what do they fear from? And, and trying to hit their pain points in order to get their attention. And I can, I, I can say... On myself, I get dozens of emails, you know, different service providers. And when I think about the emails that I do open, they always touch me on a personal level. Even if it's, they're not truly personalized, but they touch on my pain point at this specific moment, then I open it up. And, and that's what I try to, to aim with my sales team as well. Try to think what you wanted to receive if you were on these shoes so really understand the business model of the company that you are approaching really understand the needs and the benefits that the uh, position that you are talking to wants to hear and then making it very short and very about what he he or she wants to hear what what they want to hear and not just talking about myself and what people uh, talked about me that's not interesting What's interesting is what they would earn and what they 
would benefit from, from working with us. Very, very powerful. And I think it's it's actually amazing that so many service providers, entrepreneurs, you name it, don't really realize how much it's all about adding value and seeing the other side. And then it's actually a means to stand out by seeing the other side and being able to communicate through that because there's so much spam out there and, and it's pretty much, and, it, and it's good faith spam, but it's spam that it's so hard sales or just not understanding the, the audience. So it's, it's really fascinating that you were able to realize that without anybody actually teaching it to you and just almost intuitively at a very young age. Yeah, I think obviously, you know, managing people during the army and uh, I used to be a tennis coach so you need to understand how the other side thinks. And being a coach or a teacher really teaches that. It's, it's really interesting because you are working with kids and kids think completely different. You know, what's important for them, you do not really consider. And when you get experience in that, you, you try to think as, as a child. And I think it's a important lesson for raising kids uh, as well. But trying to get to the other side, try to understand how the other, other side thinks about the situation, what they fear for. Yeah, it's, it's, it's the same. So I think being, being a, you know, a coach or being a, a team leader in the army really helped the, the process. We're excited to be collaborating with the Israeli website CTEC, owned by Kalkalist, Israel's leading business newspaper. CTEC is the gateway of the Israeli high-tech to the tech world and vice versa. If you're not already a regular reader, we strongly recommend that you check out kalkalistech.com, C-A-L-C-A-L-I-S-T-E-C-H.com to stay up to date on all high-impact stories from the Israeli tech scene. So t- talking about the, the coach thing, so I was like, I was, I, was, I was looking at that on the tennis side. We always find out that, that like, you know, uh, sports, the people that we earn for, there's something about the, um, the, the, the sport, um, let's say being, being in sports in a younger age really helps you on like self-discipline. It really helps you of knowing like there's rules of a game on the ethic side, but also like liking to challenge and knowing that persistent work and you're actually, um, when you're younger, you don't get to do some fun things because there's something more important to do. So like, how did that affect you on your side? Because uh, being a tennis uh, coach um, is also on one side, you're coaching the kids, but you probably had some kind of tournament before and you got to that. Definitely. So I was, I was playing tennis since I was five. And I was a competitive tennis player for most of my life until 16 or 17. Um, and I think this is one of the major things in my life that, you know, really built my character. And since it was individual sport, I think tennis is one of the greatest sports out there because you are alone at the court. There's a lot of, a lot of stress and you learn to lose. You learn to deal with pressure and you learn proportion. So get, understand that you lose sometimes, understand to deal with it. And it was a true hard time when I was growing up. It's, it's hard on you, it's hard on the soul, but in the greater picture, I think it's, it benefits and it builds character and uh, it builds character. And uh, it's one of the greatest things that uh, 
I have done. And I truly believe that I will pass along to, to my kids as well. So I, to, to learn discipline, to learn, deal with failures, to learn, to deal with success. Um, yeah, I think competitive sports, it's, it, it really, really has great value for individuals. And I would definitely encourage my kids to, to participate. It's interesting also specifically about tennis. Uh, a few years ago, I read this book called The Inner Game of Tennis by uh, Tim Galloway. I don't know if you heard of it, uh, but he, it's really interesting because he breaks down the concept of skill bu building and how in tennis you also have that feedback loop and you're able to, you know, if you change, you know, the way that you hold your hand, how it impacts everything and also envisioning things and being able to sort of think what where you want to get and actually get it through your body. And it's like really interesting to understand how, maybe you've been applying those feedback loops and envisioning to your career. I never thought about that, but yeah, tennis is a very technical game. So there's a lot of technical changes that you need to do and adjust and you keep on learning for many, many years. And so yeah, the feedback loop is endless in tennis. It's really endless. So yeah, there's a big part of that. As a person who loves sports, any kind of sports, it also plays tennis. There's something about tennis that I think differently. I'm, I'm wondering how you have a partner because there's something so alone on tennis, okay, that like also I played, like you're not allowed to talk to the coach. You're not even, you know, you can't get feedback in the middle. There could be a momentum thing that, you know, pisses you off. It's you against the world and the fans and, you know, everybody. And they're like, there's no, it's not even a coach like in boxing that can say, you know, pick up your maw. You're like... That's it. You start in game, you can like lose the game just because of state of mind, which is, yeah. I, which I love it because for me, you know, the ADD factor, okay. It's like the focus game. You're alone. You have to, you know, it's not always a high speed. So the, the question is on the partner factor, because it's really, a, you know, you don't like, don't work with well with others kind of tennis, you know what I mean? Like, how are you a team player? First of all, I'm, I'm a people person by nature. So that's, that's helpful. Having said that, I do think that I have some parts of me, my character, that I like to take a lot of things on myself and to myself. And part of, part of me building as a leader is to understand to let go and trying to, to share more things. But definitely tennis And I don't know if you read in my bio, I, I used to be a poker player as well. It's a very individual thing. And maybe that's part of the reason that I like, I like to take more and more things to myself and it's hard for me to let go. Um, but I do feel as my team grew, I'm, I'm improving in it. So I keep delegating a, a task and, and trying to, to have you know, more free hands from, from my partners as well. Uh, but that's something that I'm constantly trying to improve it. Definitely. And definitely I, I, again, I didn't close the circle. Uh, uh, I didn't think about that, but it probably because that I was alone most of my, yeah, competitive years in, in tennis and in poker and, That's why we're here, right? Just you know, we want you not to think of that something. On, on that sense, though, who do you work with? Like, who's the people who you love to work with? You have to hire people. Who are the people that you know? Like, what is the three KPIs or three characteristics that you want to work with as a person? First of all, I would like. I think people are everything about the, with the company. So, 
you can talk about you know DNA and you know values and so on. Values are the people that working within the company. So you can talk all day long, but the people that you are going to hire are the most important thing. And so, first of all, I would I I love pleasant and comfortable conversation within the company. So I like to bring on people that are able to even manage in a very round way, I would say, and, and, and not forcing their opinion. So these are the type of people that I attract to and definitely I try to bring on. People that are motivated and looking to invent. At least, you know, we are a small company, so every person is really important. I'm looking for people that are excited to create, really excited to create and excited to join a young company uh, because it's not easy. It's not easy. And we have some people that moved from bigger companies to, to a small organization. During the interviews, I'm always trying to give as much disclaimers as possible for them to try to understand where they're coming from. Two, sorry. And so, yeah, motivated, pleasant, and hardworking people. I, I think these are the you know, three things that are really, really important. And uh, yeah, I try to bring them to the table. I think, by the way, later down the road, it's important to have a mix, not just mix of, you know, skin color or culture or gender. Not, not that, but mix of characters. But at least initially, I try to bring people that are closer to my agenda. So the DNA of the company is going to be specific. And then within teams, I believe that I'm going to bring more diversity in terms of characters. Obviously, you know, gender and, and, and so on. But uh, that's less important. For me, I, I, I'm not looking at it. So, yeah. so mostly they're optimists. So, yeah. So like, let's walk through something else. You said that the Corona hit your business, right? So like, um, um, what was the point when you feel that in your business right now, the type of clients are like, I'll tell you, there's two stages. Let's say there's this type where there's a, uh, going to be a business where it's more right now, like the leaders are kind of bringing it, you know, forward. And if they're not in meetings and they're not there, then something's not happening. And there's when it became like a business for you. So like, when, when was the, uh, the, the, the moment when you felt like there's a business that you made something, you know, and you, you feel like it's not only special, but it's like, it's there to stay. I'm not sure that I'm there yet. It's a business that for sure it's going to stay. What would make it there to stay? Like, what would be the moment you said, I, this child is 18 and he rolled out of the house. Like what would, what would need to happen? I think there's a few things. First of all, technology wise, we need to, to do like a few more steps. And unfortunately, I think it's about number of people also. I think, I think that once we, we are at a stage that we have 20 to 25 employees, I feel that once we grow a bit further than that and hiring a few more positions within the company that I feel that we need, I think that we're going to be in a position that I'm going to be less hands-on, which I'm a bit too much hands-on right now, and be in a position that, you know, it's independent and uh, I can leave or someone else is, is able to replace me. I think that we are on, on, on a way to do that. For example, just, you know, two weeks ago, we have hired VPRND, 
which is a very crucial point in, in the organization. Uh, there's a few more positions that they feel that once we have that and they are trained well enough and they're within the culture that I would like to um, to have, I think that we're going to be in, the, in that phase. And let's go back to, the, to those days when you closed your first business. What did you do next? So I will try to describe the, the first few initial steps that I had, that we had, sorry. So we've decided to open the company. We've built an MVP and we thought it's going to be easy. We're going to approach investors. We had some background. It's going to be quite easy. It wasn't. So we got rejection, rejections all over the board. So we decided, okay, let's wait. Let's do what we have done previously. Let's bring a few customers. Let's, let's get uh, inside a few accelerators. We tried a bunch of them. And then approaching private angels as well. And, and that's exactly what we have done. So we got ac- accepted to one of the biggest accelerators uh, in the US uh, named Alchemist, which was a very, bi- very big step. And, and even my first investor, that's another, another story of not, not taking no for an answer. My first investor in the company, or the most significant one, I think, maybe the second one, but the most significant one, um, they said no. And they said, okay, but let's be in touch like most investors do. And I was actually keeping them in touch <laughs> every couple of months. And once we were accepted to the accelerator, to Alchemist, and we had like a client that had like a letter of intent at least. We got back to him saying, look, this is what we have achieved in the past four months. Are you interested right now? And eventually he was, he was convinced. And I thank him a lot because it was a huge, huge milestone. So once we had him, again, things were able to, to roll out. And so, yeah. And once we had a customer, we understood what the type of what type of customer uh, they are and trying to understand, okay, these type of customers are the low hanging fruits for us. Is this in your 3D studio, the 3D rendering studio? 3D rendering studio was in between Renovite to frame by frame. And that's how we got to understand the interior design world. So that's another short story. That's basically, we closed frame by frame and we thought about what to do. And we knew that we we're going to do another big venture. So what we have decided in the meantime, one of our employees was a very talented 3D artist and graphic designers and so on. So we thought what we can do with his capabilities. So we thought, okay, we can go to interior designers and try to create, recreate 3D models of apartments and buildings. And that's, that's what we have done. So we found work. He worked for us. And then we grew the team for four or five employees and had like a small studio we knew always that it was not what we are going to do but it was able to provide us basically so once we understood the market we thought about the idea of renovate of creating an ai interior designer that's able to to do the 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 selection of items and design apartments and so the idea came from that short experience of managing a studio. Got it. So where do you stand now with Renovai? So we have close to 20 customers right now. Some of them are the biggest in the industry. I'm really excited about that. 
companies within the furniture and home decor industry. We are a B2B company. So we are selling our solutions into e-commerce retailers in order to help the end consumer experience throughout the site and help them making easier decisions, better decision, decisions, and, uh, and making you know, the experience funner and more fun. So yeah, that's basically where we're at. So we have raised a seed round led by a VC from Canada, a big VC called Versta. And one of our biggest investors is a client that became an investor. And that's a great story wow. as well. How did that happen? Yeah. Luck and skill, I think. Yeah, maybe a bit of skill too, right? Yeah, it's a funny story. So I, we have approached them by a cold email, trying to sell the product, basically. So we came into the first meeting. It's a billion-dollar company. It's a public company in Australia, like a big organization. In the first conversation that we, we had, that's the luck part. We had the CEO of the company, another co-founder, the CTO. I don't know why. They all came to the, to, to, uh, to the meeting. And they fell in love with what we do and probably with us as well. So immediately they became a client. And a few months after, they became an investor too. And so I, I'm saying luck because we happened to meet them. It was... And, they happened to have all the management within their first conversation. And I felt within the conversation, I felt that they are looking to invest maybe. So I was keep explore, uh, I, I kept exploring that after that. And so, yeah, it's a great story and a great, great partner. And uh, yeah, we, we are really, really lucky to have them on board because they're a great platform for us to test whatever we want, yeah. basically, and whatever tools that we want. We've, millions of users and is there any problem with the objectivity because of that though like sometimes that if people say oh, okay you're working with a client you're probably not objective or something like that sometimes in like those kind of things you know someone else can see it uh, as as the investor is kind of maybe he gets priority you know like was that thought of process of bringing them in because of that or is it not really. So we've started that with them as a client. We have proven that our product works and then they've invested the additional funds. And so the process was the other way around. They did not invest and then became a client. I would say the fact that they are in Australia is a great benefit because, you know, our main markets are US, Europe, Asia. And if we had, for example, an investor from the US it would have been hard for us to expand because then other clients would be, wait, wait, wait. You're only mm. working with a client. They are investor. Maybe you are sharing information. We don't want that. So the Can fact you- that they are in an isolated place, basically, um, made us the easy decision to work with them. And uh, Like the fact that you have a, a, such a major client as an investor, like all these B2B clients, all these B2B companies are really trying hard to get design partners you know, so that you really have the, the customer buy-in uh, and, and that they, should, they really do care and help you develop the product. And this is like, they're really doubling down on you and you're getting all these insights and they have like the highest incentive for this to work. And clearly everybody in the ecosystem benefits from that. Definitely. And it helped us through the seed round investment as well. Obviously having a client that invested in the company <laughs> You know, it's a it's a product validation for VCs that are not expert in the in the domain. Yeah, all these VCs that want you, you know, show me that you're bringing value and show me that you have clients that you know 
want this and you're like yeah they're actually paying a lot more than regular clients like we have that yeah it's a good pitch my clients are the investors <laughs> you know like <laughs> that makes them pot committed you know like the retention rate is really high yeah and because they are such a serious company they know everyone in the industry that's what's really talking about confidence that was one of the things that made me confident about the vision and about the product because they know everyone. They know all the you know, other B2B suppliers in the world, basically. And they said, Renova is the right, the right guys for us and we want to invest and they double down in the seed round. So yeah, that's a really, really great indicator that we had something that is very valid and very unique, I would say. It seems like um, we've also been interviewing uh, quite a few investors and we know that a lot of what they're looking for is the passion. And you seem to be with hyper passion for what you do. Um, it seems like you don't even stall to handle, you know, to, to, to work with stuff that you're not passionate about. Like I, I, I I'm guessing that also that uh, 3D rendering studio, even though you knew that's not going to be your vocation, I'm guessing you were also excited about that. It just seems like you wouldn't do it otherwise, right? Yeah, I think so. I think whatever I do, I try to do very well. If I'm thinking about my history, you know, I, I did not work for a company, so I don't know how to be an employee. Uh, but when I think when I used to be a tennis coach or when I was a commander in the army, I was really trying to excel in it. So, and I had passion for what I, what, what I did. And it, it was always about create, creating something and dealing with people. And I think, yeah, these are the two aspects that I love doing. So uh, it doesn't matter, at least for me, it, it does matter the, the, the market, but for me, the challenge is creating and figure out what the market needs and learning about the market. Obviously, I'm not an interior designer. I do not know how to design. Yeah, I, I, I dive deep enough into what, what we do in order to, to be passionate about it. Or, or you dive into what you're passionate about. Maybe. Yeah. And what, what would you say your superpower is? Being able to take things in proportion. I think that's a huge part. I'm a very, very, I think people would say about me that I'm very, I have patience for, for people and for processes and I'm not getting too nervous about things. My wife always saying that if she had to wait a couple more weeks to get an answer about whatever, she would drive mad. And I think that I am able to put that aside, keep walking, and be hopeful that things are going to get along. So I think that's the most important thing. And be, you know, not giving up. I think that this is something that I did not have as a kid. And I think that with other stuff in my life, I'm, I might not be the, you know, the most stubborn man in the world. But with work, I definitely am. And my wife is worried that if I try to, for example, in my family life, if we try to get something like a discount, my wife should do that. She do not get a no for an answer. But in work, I, I'm also a bit like that. So, And what would you say your kryptonite is? I think the point that you have mentioned, taking too much on myself, not, let, not letting go and not 
yeah, not sharing the burden with other people. I think this is a very, very, yeah, this is my weakness, I would say. And this is the stuff that I try to work on. The, the, the crazy thing is, I think our thesis at the end of these podcasts are going to be always the superpower is the weakness. Because it's amazing to see like the, how the persistence and accountability is taking too much. It's like, oh, like we see that again and again. It's an amazing thing. And I really, you know, I, I, I really believe in that. It's like, you know, it's, there's, I always talk about like the, the pink glasses, you know, being jealous is a bad energy right? But being competitive is a good energy. It's the same type of energy. It's where you take it, right? So as long as you're doing accountability and good things, that's a great thing. And yeah. on that sense, in one year, what would be success for you? Keep enjoying what, what we do. So keep, keep on being passionate and, and wake up at three o'clock in the morning and do some calls and not worry about it. So love what we do. and. And I think I want the team, the team to be happy and satisfied, satisfied in, 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 in the culture that we try to, to have in the company, in, in the product that we try to, to do. And at least have them, yeah, have them passionate about what we do. I, I do not expect the team to be as the founders, obviously, but I do want them to be passionate and, and keep on working with us. And I think we have good track. Most of the people that started with us are still with us in the team. So people like to work and like the like to work in the Renovai and like uh, like the things that we do and believe in what we do. So having more than that, yeah, more of the same. Alan, thank you. Your passion and energy uh, and and your entire approach is like really contagious. And thank you. I really hope for you. It, it seems like a safe bet that a year from now, th those humble and yet so core and important um, things that you're wishing for yourself and the team, it seems like really achievable because it seems like you're on top of it and you care about what I, I would say truly matters. So thank you. Yeah. And for the listeners, we're seeing it also on video. It's a very lovable human being. Thank you so much. And thank you for sharing your insights and thoughts about the process there. Uh, some of the things I didn't think about and uh, yeah it was really great uh, talking to you real life superpowers Superpowers.